Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Post-Op. I am your host, Dr. Adam Oppenheimer, and I am here with the always lovely Asada Jones. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Fun fact about Asada, she is a voiceover artist, <laughs> as if you couldn't tell by her beautiful sounding voice, but among other things, that's what she does <laughs> in her spare time. Yeah, just, you know, occasionally when I have a couple minutes, I'll just pop into my sound booth and do a couple scripts. No big deal. <laughs> it's that easy, folks. Yeah. Um, listeners, thank you for turning us on once again, and welcome back to the show. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, it's always great to sit down with Asada and uh, go over my week and talk about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is plastic surgery. So yes. thank you. So if you haven't already, please follow the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you haven't already, leave us a review and um, leave a nice five-star rating so other people can see this podcast and see how many awesome people like it and listen too. Um, so Doc, how was your week? How are the cases? Cases were good. It's been a busy week. We pretty much have the same flights departing daily out of Orlando, which is to say Monday. <laughs> Another flight analogy. Yes, Monday. I can't help myself. <laughs> it's an addiction. Mondays and Wednesdays, we do tummy tucks, uh, mommy makeovers. And then on Thursdays, we generally are doing breast surgery. And on the Tuesdays and Fridays uh, in the morning, before clinic, we do labiaplasty surgeries, and then I see consults throughout the day on Tuesdays and Fridays, including virtual consults. So I made a few of those calls this afternoon, but nice. it's been a busy week. It's a very structured week. It's reproducible, and that's kind of how I like it. I mean, that's not surprising. A doctor, a surgeon, like structure Being and order. meticulous. And, huh. Yes. All right. Well, this week we are sitting down to talk about the big one. This is mm -hmm. the big episode. We might need to split this into two episodes, but maybe with uh, some editing magic and some fast talking, we can get this down to one. I okay. don't know. Maybe not. I think we can pull it off. <laughs> I think we can. Well, listeners, this is the big episode. We are talking about tummy tucks this week. There's so much to go over, but I have, I think, the most important question of all. You ready? I'll try to be. Okay. So what defines a mommy makeover? Because I Googled it and it's a mess. I'm getting so many different answers. I think <laughs> most, I think mostly it can be anything you want it to be. Anything from motherhood that has changed in your body that you want to change. But realistically, if we're okay. defining it, I would say tummy tuck, breast surgery in some combination. Okay. All right. That's probably so, what classically a mommy makeover is. Like the BBLs, just like the little extra sprinkle on top if you want. Can be. Okay. Can be. Although I'll throw a monkey wrench in this whole discussion already okay. because- <laughs> We just started. It already It's already happening. <laughs> I'm derailing the conversation. I <laughs> don't perform breast surgery and tummy surgery together in most cases. And okay. that is a departure from how- most plastic surgery is done, and most plastic surgery has been done. So okay, that is so yeah. what order do you suggest people get their mommy makeover? It can be either. Most of the time, we start with the tummy tuck lipo portion of the surgery. Mm. And then three months later or four months later or six months later, depending, we will do the breast surgery if that's desired. Nice. So okay. there's, there's really two reasons why I like to stage 
tummy surgery and breast surgery. And okay. it, so it's really kind of a staged mommy makeover. And again, this is a departure. There are a lot of surgeons who do them all together and it works totally fine. And a lot of women want to have it done all together and that's totally fine. There are plenty of opportunities to have that done. For me, there's two reasons that I stage it. The first reason is for safety. Mm-hmm. We thin your blood during a tummy tuck and after a tummy tuck to decrease the risk of blood clots, mm-hmm. DVT and PE, which is deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. Mm-hmm. I read up on my abbreviations so that I would know them, the doctor <laughs> ones for this episode. And that's really something that's hard to fix as a surgeon opposed to other things that can mm-hmm. happen during a tummy tuck. Those are things that the surgeon can't fix and that you need to be on medication, sometimes in the hospital or emergency because of those things. And so by staging the surgeries and thinning your blood after a tummy tuck, we drastically can decrease the risk of blood clot which is the feared complications. Yeah. I've had actually two patients in all the surgeries that I've done with tummy tucks, maybe, um, well, just hundreds of tummy tucks um, who have had a blood clot. One of them had oral medication that she needed for three months and did fine. And the other one needed IV medication for the first few days Mm -hmm. in the hospital. So it is something that can happen. It's probably so rare that I want to make it even more rare by minimizing the mobility issues that you would have if you had a breast surgery at the same time, and also, like I said, using blood thinners. So that's the main reason why I stage them. But Mm -hmm. I also will say that your feelings about your breasts will change when you have your tummy restored to either, you know, pre-pregnancy or or your body contoured after after weight loss and having body contouring surgery like flank plasty and tummy tucks. Say more on that. That's interesting. Yeah, so drooping of the breasts with loose skin and muscle separation can look like everything is just kind of failing and not supported and drooping. Yeah. But a flat tummy with a natural droop or settled look to the breasts can actually all of a sudden now take on a slightly different appearance to you. It's not so bad. Like it might not be as as, uh, drastic. Patients might change their mind. They might change their mind. Mm. And that's something that I've seen. And it's not like I'm trying to talk people out of plastic surgery, although sometimes I I try to talk people out. I mean, it's a terrible business plan if that's your your aim. (laughs) But I sometimes do. I sometimes do. Um, And I think that staging it also helps people to have a different framework of their breasts because not every drooping breast is is necessarily made better by adding scars and an implant. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's a natural look to the breast that actually may be desirable mm-hmm. and can be accepted. And so yeah. really the main first reason is safety. And the second reason is that your perspective can change after you have a flat tummy. So there's my monkey wrench in the whole mommy makeover conversation. <laughs> I mean, it, it wasn't that bad. I okay. didn't. Ante- I anticipated a, a bigger way derailment. Worse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're good. I think doing the amount of liposuction that we do to contour the whole body as well at the time of a tummy tuck is also a departure from how most people perform a liposuction tummy tuck. I'm so glad that you brought that up because my next question to you was how do you or how did you get to the point in your practice where you decided, okay, we're going to start doing lipo 
and a tummy tuck because as far as I'm aware of, that's not a common thing, lipo and a tummy tuck, like at the same time. Yeah, I think it's becoming more accepted to do a lipo abdominoplasty. Just take the credit, man. I'm trying to be like, you're ahead of the curve. It's all me. I invented everything. No, (laughs) I, I think a lot of this comes from that you know, there is courage that we see coming out of South America and mm-hmm. unique techniques of aggressive lipo and etching and contouring of the body in unique ways. We talked about the Brazilian butt lift a little bit before. Right. I think it requires that vanguard surgeon and that more aggressive paradigm shift in the way that plastic surgery is performed. And so you kind of steal some of these ideas over time. We're all standing on the shoulders of giants, as right. it were. And we can push the envelope a little bit to see what is possible based on things that people have done before us. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when you're in your training and residency, you're told, oh, don't do liposuction in the tummy tuck flap. The skin won't survive. But there are ways in which you can do liposuction and keep the blood supply to the skin perfectly fine. And it allows you to get a flatter tummy by doing liposuction and a tummy tuck together. And really the way that I think about it is we're really doing lipo 360 in in many cases and then doing a tummy tuck. So it's really already two surgery two surgeries in one when we do a tummy tuck. It's not just remove the skin, right. repair the muscle. It's liposuction of the whole torso and then on top of that a tummy tuck. Okay, so I I want to clarify some terminology for for people for listeners. A tummy tuck is just when we're removing the extra skin that, you know, you can get from maybe from childbirth, from maybe losing a lot of weight or something like that, right? Yep. Yes. Okay. And then so if you remove it without lipo, you could kind of get like a boxy Absolutely. look. Is that what that yes, you mean? Totally. Right. Because we're just removing the skin. We're not contouring Totally. Anything. Okay. Totally so then right. you're coming in and you're like, let's get a shape and remove the skin at the same time. Okay, Nailed that it. makes sense. I'm a visual learner. <laughs> Nailed it. Okay, so what is, okay, figured out that's what a tummy tuck is. Now, what is lipo 360 then? Is that different than like just regular abdominal liposuction? Yeah, it's for us really, it's a shortcut. It can mean liposuction of the flanks, which is the love handles, the back, which can be, you know, the bra roll area. Mm-hmm. I'm grabbing myself I as know, we're like, talking. We're you doing can't lots tell on the podcast, but right there's now. so much <laughs> happening right now. Um, <laughs> the tummy is the third area. So it's 360 around the whole body. Gotcha. And on top of that, we superimpose the skin removal, like you said. And if you have had pregnancy, a muscle repair. Okay. If you haven't and you've just had a gastric sleeve or gastric bypass or a lap band and you've lost weight, then we're doing the liposuction and the skin removal without the muscle repair. But you don't really get muscle separation unless you've had pregnancies. That's really a physiologic change in pregnancy. Okay. Okay. I was just going to say, how does muscle separation happen? Just Babies. We're just going to blame babies on this podcast. That works for me. They're not going (laughs) to complain. You know, we're not going to get a one-star review from a baby on our podcast page. One star. (laughs) You're mean to babies. So I think that we're joking, but somebody's going to be so upset like about that. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have Twitter because that it would be. Oh man, no! This plastic surgeon <laughs> hates making babies. fun of babies. No, I actually was, as you know, I've mentioned before. I did a pediatric plastic surgery fellowship, yeah, yeah, yeah. so clearly I love babies. There's that's the proof. 
There you go, listeners. Dr. Oppenheimer <laughs> proves babies. babies. It's the the muscle separation that happens from from pregnancy. So there's hormones involved that actually stretch and imp- increase the elasticity of your body. Mm-hmm. And so that's why stretch marks occur more likely. But you also get stretch marks essentially in your fascia, mm-hmm. in the covering of your organs in your body. That also gets looser with pregnancy. And so those the, the stretching that happens in the muscle oftentimes leaves the stomach or the belly more protruding Mm. and that you can't really get that flat appearance to your tummy even with strengthening the muscles it doesn't re-repair them and so there's really only one way to get those muscles back together that makes sense it's almost like a hernia without it actually tearing and making a hole in the fascia although sometimes you do get a hole in the fascia from the belly stretching a lot you know, the, the fascia stretching a lot and there can be holes in it, which is a hernia, but rectus diastasis or muscle separation is almost like the best way to think about it would be like stretch marks in the muscle or stretch marks in the covering of the muscle, which is the fascia. And that's the, really the key element of a tummy tuck for moms who are having, um, plastic surgery and abdominal muscle tightening is the repair of the rectus diastasis or the separation of the tummy muscles. Mm-hmm. All right. So what are some other things that you've noticed your patients are looking for with tummy tucks? The scar has to be low. Mm-hmm. That's a major key. If the scar doesn't hide in a bikini line or in lingerie, you're really doing the patient a disservice. So no matter how much loose skin they have, the scar needs to be low and hidden in the garment, in the undergarment. Mm -hmm. It's interesting now, there are women who are wearing more French cut styles, more higher waisted styles. And so sometimes patients will come in and be like, here's my lingerie line. Here's my bikini line. Can we place the scar into this line? And of course, you know, we can. It was in the 80s more where the the French cut bikini was more in vogue. Do you advise like, Maybe maybe the time isn't gonna gonna stick with the high waisted. Who like, knows? Who knows? Really? I think I just want to be a fashionista do, and a yeah, and a plastic surgeon. I just want to do what people ask of me, and if I can do it safely, I'm all I'm all in for it. That's but yeah, but that's but, important too. <laughs> yeah, but hiding the scar okay. in the in the bikini line is one. Contouring the waist. You mentioned that square or boxy look. I think liposuctioning and contouring the waist during the tummy tuck is huge. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you can get that boxy look from not continuing the scar around the body. So in some women who have either had multiple really big pregnancies, a lot of weight change, gastric sleeve, gastric bypass, they will develop loose skin around their body. And so if you do the lipo, but you don't continue to remove the skin around the body, in things that are called flankplasty or lower body lift, Mm -hmm. you can also end up with a square appearance as well. Mm. So liposuction is key, but sometimes extending that scar, either extended tummy tuck or flankplasty, I like to make the Taylor analogy, and I feel like every day goes by, I have this false modesty claim where I say that I'm a glorified (laughs) Taylor. I really feel that way, though. And if I could chalk and pin the skin I would feel like I could really get it just right. Obviously, I use Sharpies before surgery to to get those markings squared away. But the Taylor analogy makes a lot of sense. Or the idea of tucking in a T-shirt. You can tuck it in really aggressively in the front, but if you don't, you can end up with 
what some people say is a dog ear. Like the little fold. Little like fold the, or, mm-hmm. or like a point or, or like a pleat. And if you don't continue to take out skin around the back in patients who need it, which is not many people or not everybody, you can also get a boxy look. Hmm. So my explanation was super long. That was avoiding no, a boxy was... <laughs> shape. So that's the second thing. The that's first thing good. was a low scar. The second thing is avoiding a square shape with either lipo or skin removal around the body as necessary. A third key is a cute belly button. Has to be an any belly button. And I was I th- gonna say, word on the street is that you make cute belly buttons, and I didn't realize how important that is until like you see like a not so cute belly button, and you're just like, oh wow, whoa, what, it's what always, happened? To that? It's always a little sad because yeah. it's it's something that if you are really attentive when you're doing that part of the surgery, you can hide any evidence of having had a tummy tuck, and this goes back to what I was saying about. It being dramatic but subtle at the mm-hmm. same time, it can look very natural. Plastic surgery can look very natural. And I think as we're evolving, that's what we're doing. And all of us are getting better and better at performing plastic surgery and doing it in a way that if we want it to be exaggerated, we can. But right. if we want it to be subtle, we can do that too. Yeah. And that is where the beauty is in the eye of the beholder concept is, where each person decides their version of beauty for themselves. But a cute belly button needs to have contours around it. It has to exist inside the plane of the abdomen. It can't be in the plane of the abdomen, but it has to be beneath it. Mm -hmm. And there's ways that you can tether the belly button down to the underlying fascia to create that funnel subunit and that funnel shape. And it is a little bit like origami at that point because there's little points to the way that we inset the belly button. There's a little W plasty, which is little plastic surgery origami that we all learn in plastic surgery school. And those are the elements that I think make for a very natural appearing tummy tuck. Yeah. You can also remove a little bit of fat just in that specific area of the belly button to create that funnel appearance and create that little dip that we all have. So key... Major key, cute belly button. That's number three on the list. The other element that creates narrowness and shape to the waist and also helps with the shape of the belly button is the muscle repair. Mm. And so doing a very aggressive muscle repair in multiple layers in multiple shapes to really contour and bring in the centerpiece, the center area of the waist, the Mm -hmm. true narrowness of the waist, it also helps to, to keep the belly button under control in terms of the size of the belly button. So the muscle repair kind of helps with all of the above. And so sometimes if someone has a belly button that's wide or a scar that looks like a circle that's in the plane of the skin and not a funnel inward on a deeper mm-hmm. plane, it's really hard to fix that. And you almost need to go in and retighten the muscles Yeah. in order to just fix the skin. It's, it's like for want of a nail... The shoe is lost for one of the shoe. The horse yeah. was lost. Should I yeah. say the whole poem or no? Like, continue. No. I, I want one to hear. Of the <laughs> horse, the rider. We no. don't have the time. Okay. We don't have the time, Doctor Oppenheimer. Those elements, yeah, those are Major very keys. important things. Major keys. Oh, who's who's the singer? DJ Khaled. There, there it is. Major keys. Major All right. Key. Well, let's talk about the recovery process for tummy tucks. Totally jumping ahead, but I have a have a question that I don't want to forget. Go for um, it. How long do you, or what's the clearance for people to start doing exercise that specifically focuses on strengthening the core that you might have just repaired? I'm going to try to answer this so succinctly. (laughs) I was thinking to myself, I'm going to talk for 
a long time about all these things. I'm going to just say one month. Oh, okay. That's it. I'm going to let it sit there. Oh. I'm sure you're so relieved. You're like, he one answered month. the question in two words. That's kind of cool. So the pictures that you post on social media, they're typically the like three-month post-ops, one-month post-ops. Yep. Yep. That's pretty cool. Between those two. I like the rule of twos for recovery. Mm-hmm. Two days as a patient, two weeks where you're more or less out of commission from driving and doing stuff in the world, and then two months till you're back pretty much to full strength. In reality, at one month, you can start to exercise, and at three months, you're more or less fully healed. There is a little bit of persistent swelling that can linger beyond three months on and off. Okay. Because if you think about it, you're kind of dividing all of the normal drainage of fluid from your tummy. Usually it drains to your groin lymph nodes. And that's where extra fluid of the body kind of goes. I'm They're just like realizing the, I don't yeah. know how how fluid works and like how all of that works. Well, it gets squirted around your body by your heart. And sometimes the blood vessels that the fluid is in are a little more leaky than than others. So and that after... fluid accumulates in the spaces of your body, like the tissues and the skin. Okay. And then your lymphatics drain that fluid. It's like the, the gutters mm-hmm. of the body. And that then gets recycled back into the vein and pumped back around. So how are... I said um... squirted around the body. It's like, <laughs> did you go to medical school? You know, I did. It was a great school. It's, hey, you know what you're talking about. You're just being, Circulated you're just the off body. the cuff right yeah. now, you know? It's... I'm so relatable by saying that blood is squirted around the body. <laughs> and we're taking that out. Okay. Um, so after the surgery for those drains yeah. or for the, for the fluid, yeah. um, how does the patient, so we have the overnight stay and everything, um, how does the patient take care of themselves at home like what's the at home care like there's not a lot of post-op care after the overnight so that first day and night you go home um you you go home the next day after staying overnight in our facility after the tummy tuck we do belly button care and drain care at home the incision has a special silicone tape over it Mm -hmm. so there's no incision care to do cool But when I talked about that fluid, as blood gets circulated around the body and sometimes it leaks out from blood vessels, that's why you can get swollen joints, swollen ankles, Mm -hmm. and your body can feel puffy, you know, from time to time. Sometimes that fluid after surgery is particularly leaky. And so those drains are used. I know you don't like drains, Asada. I wish you guys could see my face right now. She's cringing at me. (laughs) She had to close her eyes and grab onto the (laughs) desk just to make it through this part. Sorry. But the drains grab that fluid into um, little bulbs that we then can empty over the course of that first three or four days. And oh, then so we can remove. You're actually providing like actual yep. drainage. Like... Yeah, they're little tubes. It's like a linguine. Oh, it's like a okay. piece of linguine. It goes under your skin and it's stitched at your skin. And then we slide the drain out at four or five days after surgery and then you're good. There are doctors who oh. do drainless tummy tuck surgeries and a drainless tummy tuck is when you use quilting sutures just picture a quilt the way the top and bottom layers of the quilt are kind of pinned together Mm -hmm. or stitched together so you can do that with the floating skin from the tummy tuck and tack it back down to the body I do that 
so I sometimes will say I do a drainless tummy tuck with drains. But the reason to use drains is to avoid a seroma. The reason to do a drainless tummy tuck with quilting stitches is to avoid a seroma. I do both. We don't have any seromas. Because a seroma needs to be drained. And you need to put a little needle into the body to drain a seroma. It's been years since we've had a seroma mm-hmm. here because we do all of these things to mitigate the chance of having that complication of a seroma. Wow. wow. This is why I was kind of talking about staging a mommy makeover i'm like what can go wrong what could be a problem and how do i really really minimize the chance of there being a problem right and that's just for your abdomen we're not talking about the recovery for the breast not that that's a heavy recovery it's just it to me it seems like there's a lot happening um for the first couple of days and you might want to use your arms down and relax yeah be able to use your hands yeah and that's kind of how I have thought about it too I mean a lot of people are using a walker after a tummy tuck for the first three or four days if you're really being honest about your breast augmentation you would never have someone putting their weight on their pec muscles three days two days out from a breast dog right so why do you make that exception just because you're wanting to cram all the surgeries at once wow that's my that's well, my no, opinion. That makes that makes but total sense. That's kind of how I feel about it. So wow, and then you don't want to be having to deal with drains and all that stuff, and like not moving. Whew, that's a lot. It can be a lot. Yeah. And I think patients, um, you know, it's two smaller recoveries as opposed to one bigger recovery. Mm-hmm. But again, my goal is to decrease your chances of really anything bad happening to you during your recovery, and that's how I feel like I can do it really reliably. So. I want to talk about C-section scars and how you work around that or work really with patients that have C-section scars. Sure. Sure. There's really two scars that can be problematic when planning a tummy tuck, Mm -hmm. a C-section scar and a belly button piercing. One seems like not a big deal at all. And the other one is surgery. One you got at the piercing pagoda when you were 16. Yeah. Like that one mistake that we all have made. I mean, not that I, I don't. Yeah, n- whether or it's not, not relatable to us, not at all. Piercing in my belly button is <clears throat> unimportant. But the idea is that the belly button piercing can result in us needing to take more and more skin out of the body. And you can usually take out the skin from the belly button to the C-section scar. Everyone is, has a different degree of stretchiness, but if you can picture a football shape, of all of the extra skin on your body between your belly button and your pubic hair area or C-section scar, that football shape is how much skin we're generally able to remove. Mm -hmm. If you're a little less stretchy and you have a piercing that goes maybe a half inch above your belly button, I might not be able to take out all of that skin. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll have to make an up and down scar. And I showed a patient today on Snapchat who has an up and down scar because she had a piercing and a low C-section scar. So A high piercing and a low C-section scar means for even more skin that needs to be removed. And so sometimes I need to make a short up and down scar for the piercing. But the C-section scar always gets removed. Even if it's really low, that's how low I'll make the scar. And so a lot of women will have tethering of their C-section where their skin might fold over or it's indented or it's uneven or something like that. Some women even have an up and down C-section scar if it was an emergency C-section. Oh, okay. And so pretty much that entire scar can be totally removed with a tummy tuck. It just requires a little bit of planning, but 
if you think about how low your C-section scar is, that's how low a tummy tuck scar really always is. Yeah. And your groin creases, those inguinal creases are a really good guide for roughly, you know, about an inch above that is where the scar goes. So. Okay. Okay. Well, that's nice because I know your scarring is a lot nicer than most C-section scars. <laughs> I mean, it can be. You know, I think early on um, the challenges sometimes from a C-section are, you know, like I said, if it's an emergency there might be less attention to the cosmetic nature of that because, you know, there's an emergency with the baby, and, which yeah, absolutely course, makes sense. But sometimes, and this is something that we talk about again in plastics residency, is one wound, one scar. So that scar that goes from your skin through your abdominal muscles, through the uterus, is one sheet of scar going all the way down your body. Even if the doctor closes it in different layers, you have one scar and it can be kind of tethered inward because of that. Mm. So it's not necessarily the fault of a surgeon or a GYN, an OBGYN. It actually may just be related to the nature of the way that bodies heal. So that one incision becomes one scar all the way down through your whole body. Oh. And so, but it's not a problem to remove that scar when we do the tummy tuck. And yeah. since we're not going deep to the muscles when we do the tummy tuck, that scar is a lot more smooth. Mm -hmm. across that lower part of the tummy wow that's like it's interesting to just like visualize um that's really cool you've got a pretty cool job man <laughs> i really i really you love got a it pretty cool job it's a privilege to to be a part of it you know i think there's so much privacy that we all have about our bodies and the idea yeah. that people are sharing that with me and trust me to take care of that and to hold it sacred is really the greatest honor in my life. That's just the truth. Um, so Dr. Oppenheimer, who is a good candidate for a tummy tuck? There's really two subsets of patients. Patients who have muscle separation from pregnancy and loose or extra skin mm -hmm. from pregnancy, but also patients who have loose skin or extra skin from weight loss. Okay. Sometimes patients will lose that weight on their own. Sometimes patients will have a gastric sleeve, a lap band, or a gastric bypass. Those are the general surgery operations that help people who have really high BMIs that they're unable to control. Mm -hmm. So those are the two candidates, women after pregnancy or patients after massive weight loss. Okay. You mentioned BMI, so I do want to talk about that. Is there an ideal BMI to be at? for a tummy tuck? Because I know this, you know, we talked about this in the first episode, tummy tuck isn't something that you want to do to kickstart your diet or kickstart your lifestyle. So no. what's, what's the ideal BMI that you should be at and like be able to maintain? It should be less than 30, but that means 30 is the highest point. Plastic surgery is actually at the end of the race, not at the beginning of the right. race. Okay. Plastic surgery... For me, having a tummy tuck, having a body lift, that should happen after you've done all of the weight management to get you to an ideal weight. Now, everyone has a different ideal weight for them. And I'm not talking about what the chart says. I'm right. just talking about a normal, safe, resting, stable weight for you. How it feels. How it feels right. to you. And some women have higher BMIs, we've talked about, who carry their weight lower in their body, thighs and buttock. And it's maybe not fair for 
women who carry their weight intra-abdominally or higher in their body. Right. Some women have more visceral fat than others, which is that fat inside the abdomen, which we can't get at. And so those patients might need even lower of a BMI to truly be a good candidate for an abdominoplasty. But by and large, if your BMI is less than 30, you can be considered a candidate for an abdominoplasty. And, and the reasons for that all come back to safety, which is always the touch point for me that makes the most sense to think about with plastic surgery. How do we make this safe, number one? And right. then how do we make this beautiful, number two? And BMI, high BMI is associated with higher risk of infection, higher risk of blood clot, higher risk of postoperative wound complications mm -hmm. and seroma. And so we really try to narrow those risks as much as possible by getting people who are at their goal weight. Right. That makes sense. Is there a particular age that someone should kind of think, like an ideal age that you should kind of aim for? Because I know, I don't want to say I know, but in my brain, it wouldn't make sense if you're thinking about getting pregnant in like the next two years or something like, for instance, somebody yeah. that lost a bunch of weight and yes. maybe knows that they're going to start a family or, or continue a their great family. point. It wouldn't make sense for that person to do a tummy tuck, right? It's a great point. We There's really two points to get at, but we try to encourage women who have lost weight to understand and know that having a second tummy tuck is not ideal, but may need to happen. So After pregnancy? No, after they've lost a lot of oh, weight, okay. they may come in, let's say they're 25, and they, they're not a mom, they don't have a family, but they're like, I have all this loose skin. I try to help them to understand, if you have a pregnancy, if you want to start a family, and we've done your tummy tuck and body lift, you may want or need to have another tummy tuck in the future. Mm -hmm. The first tummy tuck, as you may recall, won't need a muscle repair because they're not a mom, but the second one could. So sometimes if they're, oh, I lost a lot of weight, but I'm married and we're thinking about a family, can I have this tummy tuck before the wedding and you know get this taken right. care of so that I can fit in the dress or what have you? I would generally say that it may not make as much sense because let's wait until that skin has been restretched again before we you know, do a tummy tuck. But there's a lot of young women who have had weight changes that are dramatic in their early life, and they will say that they don't feel super confident or comfortable naked or in a bikini um, or in lingerie, and I am definitely primed to help them to get right. to a point where they feel confident and comfortable in order to, say, be intimate or to start a relationship. Right, and you got so, to do one to get to the other. In order. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> In some cultures. Well, yeah. Okay. And so, so sometimes. So I think that in those patients, of course, I'm more than happy okay. to help them to get the body contouring surgery without the muscle repair in order to help them feel more confident. But it's good for them to know that there may be that need for another tummy tuck down the road, potentially, where they right. do have the muscle repair. Now, if you're in the middle of having kids or, you know, you think you might want more kids, but you really want your tummy to be flatter in the meantime, I would say that's not a great idea. Right. You want to wait until you're done because re-repairing the muscle, that is a challenge and it's really hard to yeah. do that a second time. So, I, but, but we really want to get back in those bikinis, man. 
yeah. really want to get back in those and bikinis. That's, that's really the goal. <laughs> and I hear that a lot from women who say, Oh, for sure. I wasn't I, like I was joking, but yeah. that was definitely one of the things that I sure. heard a lot answering the phones is just a desire to get to become to feel comfortable in your in their own body again. Yeah, absolutely. It's um a very common refrain that I hear and I'm sure that you heard a lot on the phones uh, just to want to be able to wear lingerie or want to be in a two-piece again. A lot of women will say that they haven't been able to do that in 15 or 20 years. And I mean, pregnancy is very unfair differentially to different women. It's, It's not the same equation we talked about last week. Um, You know, sisters who you know, have the same family, have the same parents who had totally, totally different yeah. responses to yeah. pregnancy. And so for some women, it can be really challenging and dramatic, the changes that occur. And as we talked about with muscle separation, some women still may look like they could be pregnant. And that's really, really stressful mm-hmm. and really, really hard for them to hear those exchanges from people, even if the they're good intention to yeah ask about a pregnancy. So I feel like those are patients who really dramatically benefit emotionally and physically from a tummy tuck. Yeah, I was going to say emotionally, it has to be uh, almost a balm. Maybe, like, I don't, maybe that's too dramatic no, to say. No, it's lovely. But it, it's a lovely way to put it. Yeah. And we will get patients who send us photos. And not for sharing, not for posting on social media. Like, They'll just you. send us a picture of them in Cabo or so nice. them on the beach in Florida and just say, I just wanted to thank you guys for helping me. I am in a bikini now for the first time in 20 years. And you think about all the sacrifices that moms make to their families and how little space there is for those oh moms God, I'm to have. My mom right now. Yeah, seriously, everyone call your moms. <laughs> I don't know why, but I'm like actually getting emotional just like thinking about like how how um, how much pregnancy takes from them. I mean, obviously, willingly, and they're happy to do it and all that stuff because that's why moms are awesome. But like to not be able to wear a bikini or not feel comfortable in a bikini and all that stuff, like come, like oh man, yeah. I'm a uh, um, I'm glad that something like this is available to them. We need to wrap this up because I am getting too emotional. <laughs> Dr. Oppenheimer, what's Sorry happening? Sorry that I made you cry, Asada. <laughs> what's going on? Let's all call our moms after this. Seriously, and, call and your moms, them. you guys. I mean, there's a huge amount of sacrifice that that moms put into yeah, the family okay. and making making space for them to feel comfortable, to feel validated, to have the opportunity to take care of themselves is mm. something that really we should we should all recognize. And so thanks, For mom. Real. Thanks, mom. I know my mom's listening, so I don't have to call my mom if I just thank her right now, No, right? you call your mom. Okay. This isn't going to come out for a couple weeks. Call your mom. Okay. <laughs> I'll call you mom. Oh, listeners, thank you so much for listening and sticking with us. Um, Aside from calling your mom, I hope that you've walked away with a lot of information. I know I have. Follow the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you have any questions for us, if you have any questions for Dr. Oppenheimer, send them our way. The post-op podcast email address is thepostop at gmail.com, and that's O-P-P. 
Um, if you haven't done so already, please follow Dr. Oppenheimer on Snapchat and Instagram. He is real Dr. Op. And if you would like to follow my sentimental behind, you can. I'm at a.joneswellness on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Dr. Op, any last words for the listeners? No, thanks again. Thank you to my patients past, present, and future. Thank you guys for trusting me. And thanks for tuning in yet again to Asada and I as we talk about things near and dear to our hearts. Thank you so much, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.